But Lord, continue to speak to our hearts as we leave this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat, and uh, as you uh, go ahead and get out your Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer. Uh, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, we recommend version, And uh, with it, you can follow, you, you, can, you can read the Word of God, you can actually listen to the Word of God. You can find plans that will help it make sense, and you can follow along with our screens while you're here. Uh, just go to events and search for First Baptist Potosi. Uh, we are in week number 75 of our 2020 series. We started it a really long time ago. We started at the beginning of, uh, of, the, of the Bible, started in Genesis, and we're looking for the gospel from one cover uh, to the next. And today brings us to this little book of Jude. And as we begin, I'd like to point out some of the similarities with some other books that we have studied. Uh, so Jude, like James, was the half-brother of Jesus. Now remember, John 7, 5 tells us that Jesus' brothers did not even believe in him until after they saw him resurrected from the dead. Uh, then they became pillars of the church. Uh, Jude, like Second and Third John, and Philemon is this short little one-chapter letter. But as we'll see, it's, it's uh, full of, of just really weighty Stuff. Jude, like uh, many New Testament writers, warns against false teachers. And much like First and Second Thessalonians, this book of Jude is a result of God changing the plans of the earthly author. We're going to get straight to our outline uh, here this morning. It turns out, number one, this is war. This is war. Life is war. And we're going to see the point of his writings in verses 3 and 4 as we read. We'll start in verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So that was his original purpose to writing, but then the Lord changed his plans. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly. Say that phrase with me. Contend earnestly earnestly. It's a phrase that's only used here in the, in the Word of God, and it means to struggle to surmount uh, any obstacle that might come. So like a combatant, someone engaged in war. And then when you add earnestly on there, it just uh, intensifies the, the strength of that. So if, if Jude were writing a text message to us, this would be in all caps, and he'd have about six exclamation points at the end of it. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all to the saints. So this is war, and here is what it is against. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we noticed some of the similarities with some of the other books. Now uh, I'll tell you about the, the, one of the biggest differences. It's the next blanks on your outline. Jude is calling out false teachers, but not for doctrine, for lifestyle. This, this war, it's not against doctrine here. It's against lifestyle. That, that phrase in verse 4, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that they were failing morally. Their actions didn't match up with what they were claiming, and this moral compromise was hurting the church. So church, we, we need to hear this. I need to hear this. 
moral compromise hurts the church. Uh, lewdness, it's, it's immoral sexual actions, sometimes words or even thoughts. And those that regularly practiced such things, notice it says, they crept into the church. And so to me, I, I kind of see it like a, a snake slithering in undetected. And before you know it, he's offering us a bite of fruit. It's an abuse of grace. It's rebellion. It's, it's a complete disregard for the holy life that God continually calls us to. And it's used as a, as a license to sin. And so rather than approach this letter from a doctrinal standpoint, doctrine being what we believe and why we believe it, Jude addresses it from a moral standpoint, knowing that correct doctrine produces correct living and the opposite is true as well. False doctrine produces false living. So this goes back to what we've seen in our study here in 2020. Uh, the, the correct reaction to sin James 4.9 says this, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. The correct reaction to sin in our lives is mourning. A solemn, deep grief and weight that God then shoulders when we confess it. But most of the time, we just kind of take a, nah, it wasn't really that bad attitude towards our sin it wasn't that bad even though it nailed jesus to the cross it wasn't that bad even though it took his life it wasn't that bad even though it hurts the church so whenever you hear that that phrase moral compromise what comes to mind Uh, when you hear uh, for these believers it was lewdness or immoral sexual actions words or thoughts what comes to mind is there anything in our lives, is there anything in my life that I need to confess and make right? 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So moral compromise is the battleground. It's where this, this church found itself, the, these early believers. And church, it's, it's where we find ourselves sometimes as well. And as Jude continues, he reminds us what this is. Number two on your outline, this war, it's, it's ongoing and it's against rebellion. So this is war and this is an ongoing war against rebellion. Something that I have to fight every day day. Uh, Jude 1 uh, verse 5 there says, I want to remind you though, uh, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities and, and, and the cities around them in similar manner. To these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here, Jude uses three Old Testament examples. First is the children of Israel. The children of Israel. It's the next blanks on your outline. Uh, Most of us may be familiar with with, uh, what God did on their behalf 
when they cried out to God under Egyptian slavery, he sent Moses and Aaron, and he, he equipped them to go to Pharaoh and, and demand that he let God's people go. And when Pharaoh refused, God showed his mighty power in a glorious way. Ten plagues showing that God is superior to, ten, uh, to, to all the gods of Egypt. And the death of the firstborn was the one that finally led Pharaoh to release Israel. And they didn't leave empty-handed. They plundered the Egyptians as they left. They just asked for their possessions. And then God made the sea into a highway, like we sang about this morning. That's where it's found. And then he swallowed up the Egyptians. Now, church, we have experienced the presence of God before. But what he did for his people in Egypt is one of the most amazing and miraculous displays of power in his word. And we would think, well, if I'd been there to see it, if I, if I had experienced it like they did, then, then nothing would ever stop me from living and worshiping this great God who saved me. But we know how the story goes. Rebellion began to sink in. Complaining about the conditions, doubting his power, doubting his control, Hearts turned to worship the golden calf, and on the cusp of entering the promised land, they sent the spies in, and 83% of them came back with a negative report. And rather than trust God, who magnificently displayed his power in Egypt, and had repeatedly in the wilderness, they didn't trust him. Their rebellious hearts led them astray. Their desire for selfish gain cost them greatly. And so Jude uses them as an example of the wrath of God that would eventually come on these morally compromised of his time. In church, we have seen displays of God's power in our own lives. And if all God ever did for us was to save us from our sins, that is still more than any of us could ever repay. And yet we know we have experienced more than that. We've experienced his protection. He has healed. He has given strength. He has blessed over and over and over again. He's displayed his power in our lives. And yet we, like Israel, so easily rebel, don't we? We accept moral compromise in our own lives. And church, if we are okay with moral compromise and sin in our lives, then we need to do a serious heart check. Because either we never came to faith to begin with, or there's a a major disconnect with our relationship with God. So the first example is Israel. The second example you see there is fallen angels. Uh, Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So we've seen angels here in our study Uh, When we looked at Hebrews, we talked about them. God's highest created beings. They experienced Him like none of us have. They basked in His presence. They worshipped Him without inhibitions. And yet they rebelled. And 2 Peter 2.4 says that they are reserved for judgment. This is what is to come of those who still today rebel against God's power and love and mercy. The third example is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of us may know that story. If you don't, it's found in Genesis 10. Uh, These cities were destroyed by fire, turned to ashes, condemned to destruction. They disregarded the warnings of impending judgment. They laughed it off. And so is the attitude 
of the morally compromised. They justify it and say, you know what, it it really wasn't that bad. And so Jude uses these three examples to warn us of the fate of the morally compromised. It's the same as these. And so this is war for believers. It's a war against rebellion in my heart. And it requires me to contend for my faith earnestly. That brings us to verse 9. And as we read it, it almost seems out of place. It seems kind of random until we do a little bit of digging. It says this, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. It seems a little bit random, doesn't it? But notice that phrase, contending with the devil. It's a phrase that carries a similar idea of that word contend that we saw earlier. A battle, a struggle to overcome obstacles or opposition. And so this opposition happened to be over the body of Moses. That the Lord, it tells us in Scripture, He buried it, God buried it, and and nobody knows where it is. And so there's some deep spiritual warfare going on here even though we might not quite understand exactly the depths. So we have Michael, the highest angel, and he is at war with the devil. Similarly, you and I are at war with the devil. Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against each other, but against principalities, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. So we're in similar situations. We're in a war. So what did Michael do? Well, he he didn't fight in his own strength. Notice what he said there at the end. The Lord rebuke you. And that's exactly how you and I have to fight this battle. In the Lord's strength. In the Lord's strength. All these temptations that we face, if we are not fighting in the Lord's strength, we will not win. All these battles we face in this ongoing war against rebellion, if we try to fight in our own strength, we will not win. We may be able to keep up a facade for just a little bit, but we know we will fall short. So how do we tap into this power? It's through intimacy with God. Those, those basics of Christianity, a growing relationship of faith that takes priority over all, every, everything else. That's how we see victories of faith. And if you're thinking, well, this really seems pretty unachievable. And if that's you, now you're starting to get it. Because it is unachievable in our own strength. And so in the, in the words of Dr. Leo Marvin, we've got to take baby steps. Baby steps in our faith. Take the next right step of obedience, and then take the next right step of obedience, and then the next, and learn to trust Him more and more each day. And when we mess up, we confess it, and we start right back in the direction towards grace and forgiveness of God wherever we are. Look at verse 10. Describing the morally corrupt, he says this. Uh, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, 
In these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, verse 11 says. And, and throughout the word, woe to them is a, it's a statement of judgment. It is, it is not, not good. And so Jude then gives three more Old Testament examples. For they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So let's look at these three more examples. The next one is Cain on your outline. The example of Cain. His story is in Genesis 4. So honoring God with what God had given him was not priority like it was for his brother Abel. In verse 7 in Genesis 4, Cain is warned. Sin is lying in wait at your door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now we see that Cain disregarded that warning. He ended up murdering his brother and a curse was put on him by God. The next example is Balaam. Balaam, his story is found in Numbers 22. We see that uh, King Balak called on Balaam to curse the Israelites for him. And even though God told him not to go, he continued to ask. And we see later it was because his heart was full of greed. And this is where God spoke through the voice, through, through a donkey, to get Balaam's attention. And while he ended up blessing Israel in this instance, instead of cursing them, we see later in Scripture that he corrupted Israel by encouraging them to sin, leading to their downfall. And ultimately, Balaam was killed with Israel's enemies. And every time he's mentioned in the New Testament, it's not for this famous conversation with a donkey, but it's for his rebellious heart. The last example is, is Korah. And this is one of those stories that we may not be very familiar with. It's found in number 16. Korah led a rebellion of 250 leaders of Israel against Moses and Aaron. Now remember, they were God's anointed and chosen leaders of Israel. Korah questioned everything God had told them. In pride, he believed he was holier than thou and could lead these people better. So Moses challenged him and and a couple of these key leaders to present themselves before the Lord and God would choose who he wanted. And this is what happened when they did. Number 1631. It came to pass, as Moses finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them. That's Korah and these key leaders. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And fire came down from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. I mean, it's, it's like something out of, a, out of a movie, isn't it? It's another incredible story of God's wrath against rebellion. And so Jude warns his, his readers, we still serve this same God. He's he's still just as holy. He still hates rebellion. He still will judge. And so he uses six examples here. The children of Israel wandering in in the wilderness. The fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So what do they all have in common? I think in one word, it's pride. I think it's pride. Pride. Pride leads to moral failure. When we don't trust that God is good and in control, like the Israelites did. When we don't submit to his lordship like the fallen angels. 
when we indulge in lustful desires like Sodom and Gomorrah, when we don't prioritize honoring God with what he's given us like Cain, when we do things out of selfish ambition like Balaam, when we think ourselves holier than thou like Korah, when we won't humble ourselves under the authority of Jesus, that's when we end up like these certain men who have crept in unnoticed, morally corrupt, hurting the church, and ripe for God's wrath. So what's God saying to your heart through his word and through his spirit? Do you identify with any of these examples more than the others? Jude continues to describe them. Verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts. Okay, so that word spots, it, it, it's, uh, it describes a hidden rock under the water, close to shore. So it's very specific. If somebody jumps in on that rock, they're going to be injured. If a boat hits it, it's going to sink. And so that's what, that's what they're describing here. That's what he's describing here. While, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, verse 14, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his servants to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. In all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. Not having the Spirit. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? I mean, hey Jude, why don't you tell us exactly what you think? But at this point, he's had enough. And so he, he lays it out in, in no uncertain terms. The morally corrupt are like an underwater rock that does all this damage. They are ungodly. Did you catch how many times he used the word ungodly in just those few verses? Ungodly deeds, ungodly ways, ungodly sinners. It said the blackness of darkness is reserved for them. And church, I don't want to be a part of that. None of us do. But the Lord knows we are capable. And so he's calling us to repentance. And this is where the gospel comes in. Because the truth is, God's wrath is reserved for sinners. And all of us are sinners. All of these negative descriptors describe us. They describe me. Until I surrendered to Jesus. He's the one who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. To live a sinless life and die on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. It is a free gift that he offers each and every one of us. However, this grace is not a license to sin. 
Uh, this grace does not give us a pass to do whatever we want because we know God will forgive us. Look at Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. We saw a picture of it this morning. A beautiful picture. So the issue here in Jude, it was sexual immorality. Anything sexual outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. It's sin. It's rampant in our society and it creeps into the church. And church, I want you to know, if this is your current situation, you you know the truth of God's word. I I want you to know as a pastor that I'm here to help you walk through that and make it right. I'm here. Notice there's still grace in these words. There's still grace. This is an attempt to pull some out of the fire like verse 23 talks about. But it starts with repentance. Grace is found when repentance is made. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So church, here we see this little book of Jude. And it speaks to us as as we've seen all over the place. Throughout the Word of God, it still speaks to our hearts. As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? just allow God to, to do work in our hearts. And since the grace that is available, we think about these examples. The children of, of, of Israel, they, they didn't trust. They were rebellious. Fallen angels, they didn't submit to His Lordship. They were rebellious. We see all these other examples. Cain and Balaam and Korah, Sodom and Gomorrah, all of them. Pride overtook their hearts. What's God saying to you? For the recipients of this early letter, it was sexual immorality. The church, Lord knows, uh, We can be unholy in other areas. So what's the Lord saying to your heart? Lord, we we admit uh, this little book is pretty heavy. 
But Lord, let, let us not ignore the heaviness. Because your grace is heavy as well, Lord. And we thank you so much for that. God, I pray that you would continue to, to meet us where we are. Lord, help us to accept your grace by repentance if we need to, Lord. Help us to contend for our faith earnestly. Because we know, Lord, this is a war, and it's an ongoing war. Give us the strength to be obedient. Help us to honor you, Lord, in what we do. We need you, Lord. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.